Welcome to another episode of Horrorversary. I know you're probably getting sick of us at this time, but just bear with us. We've got plenty of episodes working through everything. I mean, again, it's going to be weird when these episodes come out because right now we've got probably about like nine, ten weeks worth of episodes that 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 are going to be coming out before this one hits. So this one's going to be coming out in the middle of the summer, and it could be an entirely different place because right now we're at the end of April. And uh, states are getting ready to open. Movies still aren't coming out for a while. So when this comes out, it could be a completely different world. I, I mean, nukes could have gone off and we're now living in some weird Mad Max wasteland. And out of all the podcasts that you know exist, this is one of the ones that makes it. So welcome. Welcome. My name is Adrian Torres. I'm the host here. And if this is your first time listening in or if you haven't listened to an episode for a bit, Horrorversary is very expensive easily explained as a podcast that celebrates horror movies celebrating anniversaries now we don't go for any of the little piddly crap when it comes to oh we're celebrating 12 years or oh we're celebrating 27 no we're staying hard and fast when it comes to the giant milestones the tent poles of the 10s 20s 30s 40s 50s all the way back as far as the eye can see and that's because at almost any point you look at film history there is a film that's should be championed maybe there's a couple that we shouldn't but you know we'll we'll still give them that time of day because when you make it to those milestones and people are talking about let's put out the 30th anniversary you know of this horror film even if it's really small there is a following and it's a good time especially now you know to sit back relax and and revisit movies because when you watch movies that you haven't seen in a while you see them through a different lens sometimes poor sometimes you know better Now, we try to cover every type of movie in the horror genre when it comes to this. We're going to have some episodes where you've got some films like The Thing. And sometimes we're going to have an episode that's like this movie. Not necessarily a super small film, but one that kind of gets under, you know, pushed under the rubble. And that's because when you say the name Stephen King, there's probably about 15 to 20 movies that comes to mind. And probably 21st or 22nd on there is Graveyard Shift, just because there's so many. I mean, this is 2020. And you look at just the last couple years and the amount of Stephen King works that you've had coming out or movies that have been celebrating anniversaries that sometimes it's hard for everybody to keep track. You know, I I mean, in a period of time, we'll, we'll end up doing episodes on all four or five of the sometimes they come back again or yet again or whatever number they got up to. The thing is, it's Stephen King. And if Stephen King's name is attached to it, it's going to get turned into a theatrical film. And you're always going to have people going back and looking at them. And Graveyard Shift is an interesting one because it has all the hallmarks of a film that normally gets, you know, a reprisal around this time. It is littered wall to wall with a whole bunch of character actors. It's made by a director who doesn't do anything after this. And those are the signs of of a film that people, you know, jump on and then they go and they're like, oh, I know there's going to be gore and there's going to be these weird things. But Graveyard Shift, while it does have those crazier and darker elements, is very much a character piece. And like I said, it has all these character actors. And I think the person that you have to start with when you're talking about that element is. Okay, okay. I mean, you got to give me credit this time, because if I'm going to be rambling on about something in a horror film and it happens to be, you know, the wealth of character actors that are in it, I, I don't think you can be too mad. Now, 
Today's guest is somebody that I've actually mentioned on the show before, several weeks back in the episode that I think was the one where I had Stephanie Crawford in. We'll get into it in a minute, but this is somebody who is probably one of the nicest individuals that you will ever meet. And on top of that, they are a fantastic writer. So please give a warm, giant horrorversary welcome to Mr. Rob Dean. Did I get that right, Rob? You did. It's uh, except for the nicest person, but yeah, the name's right. So thank you. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess the caveat, anytime that you call somebody, you know, the nicest person out there, there's a chance that they're either a serial killer or they're going to be on the verge of snapping sometime soon. Oh, certainly. Yeah, definitely. Strong, strong call. Now, for those of people out there who might not know you, and as I always say, you know, that's terrible of them that they don't know who, who you are, but where can they find your writing online? Yeah, uh, I write uh, for Daily Grindhouse. Um, I've written for Tiny Mixtapes, uh, Bullseye, but not the one you're thinking of. It's spelled differently with a Z. Makes it fun. Um, and uh, in the passive room for other places like AV Club and other such things. But mostly I'm at uh, Daily Grindhouse. He does fantastic work. But like I said before, uh, there were several episodes ago where I mentioned kind of the strange <laughs> hole in my heart right now because of a tradition <laughs> that happens basically every uh, March. Of course, in March, I, I, you know, trek on down to Austin for South by Southwest. And as everybody knows, unfortunately, that was canceled this year. But when I go to South by Southwest, there are basically three things on my, my bingo card that I have to have happen to kind of say that I've had the full experience. One, uh, Heather Wixon has to save me a seat for a midnight movie that either I am <laughs> um, running late to or that she arrived early to and was kind enough to grab me a seat for. Um, <laughs> I have to randomly uh, be standing somewhere and, and look around a room or a street or wherever and accidentally lock eyes with uh, Jonathan Barkan, who will then... <laughs> Then either come over to to me or beckon me because last year I ended up having to like from across the street I saw him and he locked eyes and and beckoned me forth uh, so that I could get a hug from him. <laughs> and then the last one is the one that actually starts off every year because since I've been going to South by Southwest, the first person I always see that I know is Mr. Rob Dean. <laughs> it's true. It's a weird cosmic thing. We're like, oh, hey. Now it begins. Well, I, th I think it's because you, you have like <laughs> your place that you kind of plant yourself um, on the <laughs> backside of the Paramount because you're one of the hundreds <laughs> of people who are like, you know what? I think I should uh, start things off uh, with this movie that is a triple A giant big blockbuster <laughs> feature that's going to be exactly. coming out in the next month or two. And oh, well, uh, I heard through the grapevine that we're not supposed to line up until three hours ahead of time. So that's when I'll get there. Oh, Everyone else got here five hours ahead of time. I'm okay with that. Someone got the other message. Listen, those Q and A's are priceless. I don't care. I'll stand in line for hours just to hear a great joke from you know Jordan Peele, and I'm like, ah, it's worth it. It's it's true, but but I know, but it's always it was a nice and so so you know yeah, definitely it was weird being like oh, I didn't have my my monthly walk around and, and look up and Rob Dean just gives me his little head nod and hey. It's like, oh, there's a there's a familiar face because it's nice. I mean, that's the crazy thing about, you know, South by Southwest is just how sprawling the event is. Yeah. And it's just all throughout Austin. So there's there's times th I've gone the last several years with <coughs> sorry about that. Um, other people from my site. And like last year, I saw only one of them. 
And then there's times <laughs> that you go and you're like, oh, yeah, I've got to run into this person. But you're you're seeing different movies. And because of how yeah. spread throughout Austin it is, there's a chance you don't see them. So it's it's always a nice thing that I'm like, I know that I'm going to run into Rob probably right away. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually a ghost from the 1920s. I just haunt South by Southwest. I'm trying to beckon you to free my spirit. But apparently you're too busy. Got to go see I some was... indies. And, and, but that's how you also wind up at uh, Fantastic Fest is because technically, <laughs> yes. technically uh, South Lamar is also part of South by Southwest. So it's a very involved curse. But yeah, <laughs> it's a curse that that uh, that stretches several miles. So that's that's impressive. Whatever it's... you did was absolutely <laughs> terrible. It has it's just has more to do with redistricting. It's like kind of a gerrymandering thing, but on a, a supernatural level, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I can to petition to change it. We we had the documentary that just came out <laughs> about stopping gerrymandering, and the next year yeah. the same people are going to have to come back with ghost gerrymandering. Uh, There's got to be something there. This like geist mandering. I don't know. We can do something with this. I'm saying just jerry bangling. I don't know. Let's just, just stay in the in south. Here, but... Just stay in the south. There's a good chance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, we are talking about a film that doesn't take place in the south. Uh, once again, we are oh. uh, talking <laughs> about a main set movie. That was filmed in Maine because um, as the famous uh, Billy on the street segment <laughs> went where somebody was, you know, had to had to answer a question of where a Stephen King movie was set. Um, they unfortunately didn't catch on to the joke till halfway through that Maine <laughs> was the answer to all of them. But we're, of course, talking about Graveyard Shift. And so the first question that we ask everybody is, well, I guess I should set this up. I, I like jumping into it, but I know there's a chance that sometimes people haven't, you know, listened to the show before. And sometimes they see who the guest is or they see the movie and they latch onto that. So the way this works out is this is basically a glorified gush session. We bring <laughs> on a guest who's either somebody who, you know, writes about films, who's made films, who produced films, you know, who's written films, whatever it is, somebody who understands the world of film. And they choose a movie that we then, you know, talk about that's, you know, reaching one of those uh, apexes when it comes to their anniversaries. And so for this movie, just like all the others, we have five set questions that we ask every single guest. How they answer those questions and what the film's about kind of lets us dive into some deeper parts. Now, we do get spoilery on there, but we are going to have a moment where we take a pause before we get into the spoiler territory, just in case you haven't seen this movie. Now... Compared to some of the other movies we've had recently, this one does not have a free way to view it. It was on Prime Video for free recently, but it looks like um, sometime in the month of April that switched over. But it is available on literally uh, Microsoft Movies and Television, Xbox <laughs> Movies, Vudu, Prime, iTunes, any type of way that you can rent a movie on VOD, Graveyard Shift is there. But the first question that we ask everybody is do you remember the first time you saw Graveyard Shift? I do. Um, I remember like it was like a whole process basically because I remember when I first saw like the ads in 1990 or whatever, um, and the ads didn't. Um, the TV spots, anyways, I saw were never indicating what the movie's really about. Just so, like something's wrong at this place. You're know, like, oh, <laughs> and then the poster was a uh, is a skull with a uh, headlight a hard hat and a headlight it's a it's, a, it's, like, a, it's an extremely <laughs> iconic image that says yeah. nothing about the movie right so it's like oh is this someone what what is this i don't know what this is then um do you remember the tagline then i no is it like you're working something no what is it no it's, it's even more ridiculous than that it's <laughs> uh, 
Stephen King took you to the edge with The Shining and Pet, Tem- uh, Pet Cemetery. This time, he pushes you over it. Man, he lo- they love making big promises they can't can't quite fulfill. But again, it's like it with tells maximum you like, overdrive. Yeah, it, t- it tells you it tells you nothing about it. You know, <laughs> it's like, like I don't know what this is, but I know it may or may not have a skull in it, <laughs> and it'll probably involve Maine. Um, and so then I saw it on like a. Uh, I'm originally from Massachusetts, and I saw it on the like WSBK channel 38 for all the New Englanders out there. <laughs> um, and I really remember from it is that there's a scene where a character who is an exterminator, maybe he has a name, who can say? Uh, and he holds up like a dead rat, but it was like blurred. And I was like, what do they do to the dead fake rat that they had to blur it? Um, so I was very intrigued by that. I then read the short story, and then I rented it on video and got to see the fake Ted rat and all its glory on um, <laughs> video after that, probably like in like 95 or so. Did it stick with you right away once what like I, I know that there was the desire to figure out what the stuff is that you were missing when you're watching on TV. Did it, did it <laughs> grab you from there or did it take when you watched on video for it to grab you? Uh, it partially grabbed me from there. Cause I was, even though I was, you know, probably like 13 or something like that or 12 or whatever. Um, I was just noticing that there was like cuts. I was still like, you know, there, that was oddly like the music just cut off. That doesn't, that shouldn't happen. So I was realizing that, you know, like that something was being taken from or not being shown to me. So I was like, well, I got to find out what that is. And like assuming, and of course in your head you make it, Oh, it's like terrible. And like, you're going to see like essentially like cannibal Holocaust, but in a cotton mill. But instead it's just like, Oh, it's the guy's hand is gone. You're like, yeah, I mean, it's nice well done but i was like okay (laughs) i mean it's i I think that's one of the interesting thing things about the movie that i remember seeing the movie years ago and something in my mind before i went back to watch it is being like oh this is a relatively bloodless movie like there's not a lot of gory there's not you know that Mm -hmm. that much happens uh you know as far as viscera and then when i watched it i was like oh there's well, while it's not like overflowing in like a, a right. uh, Evil Dead Two or a Brain Dead type <laughs> way, like there still yeah. is a decent amount of of gore that's in it. That I was like, oh, okay, so they they weren't shying away from it. No, yeah, there's definitely uh, a lot of elements in in terms of like practical effects, and you know, it's one of the things that um, I really enjoy the film. But also, like, it kind of sticks in my head. So I'm like, no, there's so much good in it, and like, it's a movie that is kind of like there for, and I'm. Sure, this is a heresy to some, but it's kind of like prime for a remake because if you keep the good parts of it and then you just like kind of iron out the the wrinkles and you actually have some like pretty amazing like would be like considered like a classic or whatever. But um, yeah, it was so it's always in my head. It's like oh, it's like that scene's great, and then that doesn't make sense. But then that's cool, and like you're just kind of like switching between scenes. Like all right. Now I, I know it sounds like such a strange thing to mention for you know uh, a movie that's based off a Stephen King work. But do mm-hmm. you think that what may hurt this one, or at least in like like the um, the the public mind, because this is one that mm-hmm. doesn't really get talked about, but do you think it's because it is a more uh, grounded character wise story as opposed to like the the supernatural elements and and the murders are in there, but there's so much time that's spent away from that. That's you know focusing on the characters, focusing on. Um, you know, them just trying to get by and how important this, you know, mill is, even though it's a terrible place that should be shut down. Mm-hmm. I think um, ultimately it's what's undercut is that it just doesn't have any like 
big names attached to it on either side of the camera. Um, in terms of like, you know, broader public, obviously yeah. Brad Dorf is a God and, um, <laughs> but it, uh, but it was just something that like, you know, it's not someone or even someone that was like a, in younger days or, you know, if you had someone's like, Oh, that was their first movie was, you know, uh, graveyard shift. Um, or like this writer worked on it, like Andrew Kevin Walker did a polish or whatever it is. There's nothing like those like kind of trivia that kind of draws people in. Yeah. Cause I mean, there's, you know, arguably like Stephen King's what most popular movie is technically is probably like Shawshank Redemption. So, um, as long as the green mile would probably be up there too. Yeah. Or stand by me. (laughs) I mean, these are all, the point is like, it doesn't necessarily have to have like a big horror element or even like a big Stephen King element. Although there is no cameo from him. Is there just realize that? I don't think so. Well, I do. That's weird. I, I didn't know if that had to do with the fact that there, the the pseudonym that was originally involved with the the writing of the short mm-hmm. story, I didn't know if that if there's like uh, if there's a weird thing that he's like no this one's a little bit you know more yeah, this is a this is a Bachman so I'm not involved yeah yeah um, well, but he's in thinner he's in thinner as the pharmacist and that's a Bachman book. well no but isn't this a now I'm gonna have to to, to check the always vaunted um, <laughs> I guess I mean I. I don't know. Maybe I'm just curious. A... Whenever he doesn't show up in something, I'm always like, why? Yeah. Because especially around this time is when he was like popping up in all those Mick Garris miniseries on ABC. Maybe, so maybe, maybe it wasn't uh, – maybe he didn't have the time to do so. It's I mean, true. it's possible to do that This because this is 1990 that mm-hmm. this is coming out. So I'm not sure where we would be. I'm, I'm, like, I'm trying to think off the top of my head because you mentioned Thinner, which is like 93, 94 um, – Shawshank Redemption's not till ninety four. Green Mile's not till ninety. Um, misery ninety. Misery was ninety. Well, I, maybe that's what it was. Is that you had something it's like, like uh, this is the nice one. It's like this is the prestige <laughs> one. Well, I mean, don't that, need to have that, me hanging out with rats. <laughs> well, I mean, for for money wise, money that's being behind it. I, are you going to go for the one that's got uh, a director who made <laughs> one who did a couple episodes of Cagney and Lacey before this? <laughs> Uh, or are you going to yes. go? Or are you going to side with uh, Rob Reiner returning to uh, to do another one of your books? I mean, I don't know. I can't speak for Stephen King. I'm personally a fan of the working person, and I would say, like, you know what, this person has pushed his way, and made it to the pinnacle. So I'm going to support him. But you know, maybe that's not how Stephen King rolls. Who can they, say? They don't have the name of their father <laughs> to fall back on. Exactly. It's not maybe just because David S. Singleton or Ralph S. Singleton didn't play Meathead is not worth the time. Whatever. Well, but I mean, I, I I do think that's an interesting and, and important thing to to mention is that you know this comes out in 1990, which means that um, he's coming off the success of Pet Cemetery. Um, mm-hmm. You've got the It uh, miniseries movie um, that's on TV. You've got yeah. Misery, and then of course you've also got his involvement with uh, the Tales from the Dark Side movie. So yeah. th- there's just a chance. That this is the one, just like I mentioned, with you know yeah. all the Stephen King work that just kind of fell under the bus because there's only so much time. Right. He's, again, he's also probably like, I'm good. You guys seem like you know what you're doing. Uh, I'm going to go over here now. But but Stephen, we're <laughs> filming in Maine so that you can come out for a minute. Yeah, no, I'm good. Thanks. Uh, I got some uh, other stuff to tend to. Now, this, uh... this second question, um, yes, <laughs> I've had to to reword. Um, just for, for safety's sake. So, um, for the uninitiated, the people who've never seen graveyard shift before and as few words as possible, describe Mm -hmm. the synopsis for graveyard shift. 
Okay. A drifter arrives in a small town to work at a main cotton mill uh, where he has to deal with an awful boss, uh, jerk co-workers, a bad rat, in- rat infestation, and something that seems to be killing people. Perfect. Simple. <laughs> Just so succinct. I mean, that's that's the gist of <laughs> the, the large part the entire movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, oh, I there's an exterminator. It's played by Chucky. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's got Brad Dourif, which we'll, we'll get into in just a minute. But this Absolutely. is the moment we're going to take to pause quickly um, before we dive into it. So pausing right now. And there you go. Two seconds. You had maybe one and a half, but you still had enough time to pause it and go watch the movie if you haven't seen it. At the same time, if you're deciding to listen in, that's great. We're going we're gonna to keep talking about it. You know, you technically can't stop it un- unless you press stop. <laughs> but we still get the clicks anyway, so I'm fine with it. Because um, wow. the, the crazy thing about this movie is how character driven it is, and and while you yeah. mentioned that there <laughs> there isn't that uh, big pull in the name on one side or the other, I think mm-hmm. the fact that it is littered with so many character actors does help keep you uh, glued to the screen, even if you don't have a ton of stuff um, that's transpiring. Absolutely, and I think. The, one of the closer uh, analogous films to it, and this again might be blasphemy, but it's actually Alien, um, in which you have it's basically about like working like working class blue collar people and facing off against a monster. Um, there's not a lot of like big names. Like I, I don't think any of them were big names <laughs> in 1979. Like maybe Yafet Koto, um, <laughs> like John Hurt. Like they were all kind of known, but none of them were like famous. Basically, they're huge at the time. Um, and then, so yeah, I think like that's a lot of the appeal is it's this, like, it's a very lived in world because these are like character actors who seem to be kind of totally in character and it's all very grimy and you can feel how hot and terrible it is all the time. And <laughs> so it does work on that aspect. Yeah. There's at least one scene of every character sweating or dabbing <laughs> their brow because they are sweating. Yeah. But I, yeah, but it's the, a... <laughs> The, the cast itself, I, I think, mm-hmm. more than most of the other movies um, we cover on here kind of have to be mentioned. So, of course, in the lead, you've got David Andrews, who the majority of people would know as being that military guy in mm-hmm. just about every TV show or or movie. I mean, he's literally, if you go down his credits, he's been in, I think, every single version of uh, NCIS and CIS and in and, and every procedural, um, mm-hmm. you know thing even in Hannibal he was an FBI agent but like when you see his face you know exactly who he is and he's just a character actor who's been working for years and years and years and I I don't think there's been a point since this movie was made that he hasn't been in like three or four things a year no he's like constantly working you probably know him from like he's I think he's is it Claire Dane's dad in Terminator 3? Or is he just an army dude in Terminator 3? I think he he might be her dad but yeah he's in the bunker (laughs) yeah and he so, looks so, like Robert Kinty and John Deal smashed <laughs> together. And I know that's a super topical and hip reference, but Google Robert Ginty and John Deal and uh, you'll see. I'm right. <laughs> um, I also remember, of course, once again, playing a government official. He was on <laughs> Justified for oh, yeah. one to two seasons. So uh, but but yeah, he, he's been on on basically everything. And and he's our lead, but it kind of works as the everyman um, mm-hmm. type of lead that you need from the 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 part of course you've got uh andrew divoff 
who the majority of people would hopefully know, since it's a a podcast talking about <laughs> horror movies from the Wishmaster series. Um, but I don't know if that if that's good or or bad where everyone stands. I still like the first one, and I think that they're all cheesy and kind of over the top, yeah. but in a fun way. He's like three fourths Wishmaster, right? He's in the first three, and then, or is there only three? I can never remember. <laughs> I'm pretty, I know he's I'm in pretty like, sure there like was some four. of them. Yeah, and then I think the last one, he's like, yeah. Out. I, I'm done with this. Well, I think I think the last I think the last one coincided with when he was on uh, Lost, right? Because yeah. the average person would know him as uh, the Russian with the the eye patch from Lost. That's all I have to say. And anyone who's ever watched Lost is like, oh yeah, it's that guy. Um, and he and met then, his wife on this movie. Yeah, so, Mazatov. Yeah, there you go. That that's a plus. Um, and then you've <laughs> got uh, I think one of my favorites is uh, Stephen Mocked who most yes. people would know, of course, as the dad uh, from Monster Squad. I mean, he's he's been in a ton of stuff, too, lots of TV, but that would be the, the easiest, I think, point of reference for most people's minds. But the thing that throws me off about him in this movie <laughs> is he looks like he's auditioning for to be Fred Ward's brother. I thought he and Fred Ward were the same person. <laughs> Or like growing up, I was like, oh, like the guy from Tremors is in Graveyard Shift. Good for him. And then I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, it's, and it it's completely threw me. It's very uncanny. And then, of course, w- one of the the favorite things that we were talking about off mic is probably the biggest name in this and <laughs> in in films in general. Who is you know the most consummate character actor that you could have in a movie is Brad Dourif, who plays the Exterminator, which is all he's listed as on IMDb. But <laughs> On Wikipedia, they actually refer to his character in the movie, who's Tucker Cleveland, and he's he's great. But but I I thought it was important to highlight you know all these faces that people would know because I think Certainly. I think it hurt it when the movie came out, but would mm-hmm. help it for those people who are going to see uh, going back and and watching the movie now in 2020. Yeah, it's a lot of that guy or that person, you know. So I was like, oh, from the thing. And like, you just recognize those people, like, like, uh, uh, Vic Polizzo's from Night of the Creeps and all the other ones. And like, there's more, they, yeah, it's just a, a lot of like familiar people. And because they are basically all character actors, there's a sense of like, oh, these are regular Joes. And also makes you feel like no one's safe, which helps oh. a lot too. Now, speaking of no one's Oh, wait, one being... thing I want to quickly yeah. point out though is this is about Stephen Hawked. Uh, apparently, I think this is like what started the rule from this point forward was that one person in every Stephen King adaptation had to have a crazy main accent <laughs> and like no one else would do it. And I always felt like, you know, it was like, you know, if it's, um, you know, like Fred Gwynn and like Pet Cemetery, I guess was probably like right before this. So maybe it was a Fred Gwynn move, but it's always like someone has a really thick, crazy, like, oh, you can't do that here. And then no one else does. And I always feel like the rest of the cast was like, you can hear us talking, right? Like you can. He hears that we're not doing it. Okay. All right. But it's just the best thing is that he's so over the top with it. He's constantly like sweating and bombastic, like a Tennessee Williams bully. It's yeah. uh, it's incredible. All with like this main accent. And I, I, he's got the walk too. Like there's certain <laughs> scenes where, where he, he comes across cause he's got that strut. That's just off enough that you wonder, <laughs> is this something that the actor decided that this was, you know, this embodied the character or was this something that the character themselves who wants to, you know, clearly put up a front when they're around basically anybody that he feels that this is what's, you know, intimidating. 
Absolutely. And, you know, uh, Screen Factory is coming out with, in theory, is coming out with a Blu-ray later this year um, at some point. And I really hope they get to do interviews with everyone. Um, and then I hope that it turns out that all of them had very detailed backstories that, like, never mentioned. Like, only Brad Dourif really talks about his past. And we know that David Andrews went to college because that's the main insult. <laughs> it's college boy. And then, that, but then like, everything else is like, uh. I, I, th- I think that would be slightly better than everyone just calling him widower. That's true. <laughs> like, hey, hitchhike and widower. Like, ah, oh, you guys. Hey, guy, how's it going? Your wife's still dead? <laughs> oh, come on. I'm just trying to pick cotton here down in this god awful factory. Oh, that also, factory. that machine. I'm. I don't know the chronology on this. So, Stephen King fans, let me know, or if you know. Uh, oh, I know where you're going. Okay. Uh, is it? Yeah. Is Mangler first in terms of writing the short story? Was Mangler written first, or was this written first? Because in both cases, it's just like this weird kind of turn of the century industrial um, revolution machine. And you're just like, that. why is this still allowed? This definitely is going to take someone's hand. It's to remind <laughs> you that A, the past was horrible, and B, you should kill the past <laughs> and not have any ties to anything that reminds you about a, a long gone, terrible time in American history. All right, Kylo Ren. Gotcha. <laughs> Message uh, received. The the third question that that we have um, that I I feel it's a question that's really important when it comes to to horror movies because depending upon what the answer that somebody gives is kind of lets everybody know what type of movie uh, it is and that's is there a signature uh, moment or scene that sticks with you when you think about Graveyard Shift? There is actually um there's uh probably about like four or so but. And pause after each one and discuss them. But uh, the biggest one, and I'm guessing it's true for most people, um, is Brad Dorif's speech to David Andrews. Uh, so Brad Dorif, a.k.a. The Exterminator, a.k.a. Tucker Cleveland, um, uh, is being brought into this mill to kill all these rats. There's a lot of rats, just uh, a willard amount of rats, just like spilling out everywhere. And he's in charge of it. And so then... Uh, David Andrews is working this cotton machine one night and then he's greeted by uh, Brad Dorff and this corpse of a rat prop that I wasn't allowed to see as a child. <laughs> and then Brad Dorff then goes off on this about why he became an exterminator and why he hates rats. And it's clearly like you can tell everyone involved in this thought this was the Quint speech, the Quint Indianapolis speech from Jaws. Because he's like, oh, you know what? In Vietnam, we were friends with rats, but. The Viet Cong would train them to eat us. You're like, whoa, all right. And like he goes, he gives like this legitimate long monologue, but it's all like, you know, um, quirked up and has like the Stephen King like folksisms in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and but it's just it's really well done. It's really compelling. And it's just kind of like has a really nice like B-movie feel to like the jaw speech. Basically, it's like, oh, OK, like that's like you went for it, but you went on a different way. You haven't made weird Bruce Dern references and it works. <laughs> Well, I, I think it's interesting since it is, you know, Dorif and, and Dorif is somebody mm-hmm. who he, he very much knows what people expect of him. And mm-hmm. and this isn't to sound bad at all. It's just kind of how it goes. He knows how he looks. Yeah. And so he, he knows the best way to work about his physicality, whether it be in his face, you know, body movements that he's making. He's a very physical actor who gets into roles that that way because he doesn't want you 
to focus just on, oh, this guy looks a little bit weird. Right. <laughs> he wants you to say this guy looks weird because such and such reason. And you fill in the blank with whatever it is about his character from from each movie. And so this one, I think he definitely has that physicality and the way he's contorting his face and the way he's <laughs> watching um, the the rats. Because even though he's there to kill him, he definitely seems like he has maybe not so much a compassion, but like a, an appreciation or respect and interest in them. Yeah, it's the thing of like, you know, it's kind of like a Professor X Magneto relationship where it's like, uh, we don't agree, you know, but uh, we're not so different, you and I. But we uh, ultimately have to fight each other. And um, another good part about that that introduces the speech is him saying, like, you have to meet them on their own terms. And he shows he's wearing a gun like on his ankle, but then he never uses the gun, the movie. So you're like, all right, well, that's the exact opposite of Chekhov's gun. So good job on that. So it was just odd, but um, yeah. So that's the moment that like, always like stuck out. And then um, the other one is uh, is probably the it was the big spoiler is the death of Warwick, who is Stephen Moss' yes. character. Um, and again, this kind of echoes Quint from Jaws, and also um, and this is probably pretentious, but Captain Ahab from Moby Dick, which is like going up against the monster, then it drags you down. Um, but uh, so. Towards the end, Stephen Mock's character, Warwick, uh, he's always been terrible. He's awful to everyone all the time. Mm -hmm. And so he's and he's also was towing the company line. So that you always know like he's a bad dude. But then for some reason, he also has to go crazy and just start like killing people. Well, he, uh, he has the <laughs> uh, he has that fall where he yeah. hits his head like in the worst way possible. So I guess, yeah, maybe he uh, has, I guess, some concussion issues. And he's like, time to freak <laughs> out. But it's just weird because you're like, oh, you could just have been evil. I'm like, oh, I got to cover this up. Or, oh, and by the way, the mill, uh, people that own the mill, are, it's Bachman's mill, as in Richard Bachman. But anyways, oh, there we go. so uh, Stephen mocked. Uh, he's gone crazy. Uh, he uh, unzips his speed suit down. He holds up a knife. <laughs> he sees this thing, and the monster is a giant albino rat. It's blind. It has wings. Uh, it may or may not have limbs that work properly. Um and so he unzips it. He sees the monster and he goes, we're going to hell together. And then charges at it. He, the monster just like immediately envelops him in the wings and starts like uh, ripping him apart. And then Stephen mocked bites the monster like on <laughs> yes. its like wing or arm. And then, then gets essentially um, like almost disemboweled. And then it doesn't work out for him, but just him just being like, all right, that's how we're going to play it. It bites on the table. See what Mark's gonna bite. Well, I think I think if you've got to fight for your survival, I mean, in that situation, you know, the knife's probably out of your hands. Yeah. And I I think in the entirety of film history, anytime you see anybody that's grappled uh, <laughs> in a way that they're struggling to get free, if they can't like elbow or kick the person, yeah. their their instinct is is to bite whoever it is. And perhaps it's Compton, you know, who's the real pest? Who's the real rat? When you think about it, folks. No, I'm just kidding. That definitely is not what's up. Yeah, I, I was going to say the, the giant <laughs> albino rat bat Probably thing is, is definitely the best. I think the rat queen may be the best in this. Yeah. Um, is it, is so it that's, a, oh, that's right. It is a queen, isn't it? Well, in the story, it's a queen. Okay. They don't really talk about it, but who knows what it is. Um, in terms of, they don't have a good gender reveal party in the movie anyways. <laughs> where it's like, oh. Um, and then uh, was, uh, the other thing that kind of like sticks out to me about the movie is something that like it's something that doesn't make sense, and so I've always thought about it. Um, 
which uh, sounds like damn with faint praise, but it's just something that you know, kind of haunts you a little bit. So there's multiple scenes where this monster, who's a giant rat with wings, yes, uh, before there's a sub, there's a basement where there's a, a cotton picking machine, where, mm-hmm. uh, David Andrews works and other and a, a predecessor has worked, and right before um, the monster comes to a kill, you see it perching on the stairs. There's a shadow of it looming over the stairs, and you're like, that? How would those stairs support? A two-ton rat? Like, it, it's a weird call. Um, there, there is a support there that it's holding onto on the wall, okay? <laughs> okay. Well, it's, then... It's blind. It has to feel for support to yeah, be able to move around. Who's got an answer for everything? Okay. I didn't think of it. I didn't know. It's, it, it's I didn't Stephen know. King. It's Stephen King. It's foolproof. <laughs> exactly. I don't I don't go on the forums, so I didn't... But it's just such a funny thing, though, because every time, like, when you first see, you're like, oh, what is this thing? Then, like, later when it's actually revealed, you're like, wait, but how could it have, like walked around on the stairs and it's just an odd little moment that you kind of always think about. I'm like, huh, all right. I, what I think's really interesting about a film like graveyard shift is it, is it really fits into the type of movies that, that are definitely getting a reappraisal and that people are going back and watching for the first time in years that they're able to appreciate more because it, it does have lots of weird moments. It does mm-hmm. have lots of goofy moments, but I think they kind of, endear themselves to the viewer in a way by having those strange moments i mean the whole uh affair subplot um and when he's like no you you're on you're going to be on the duty too and you know she ends up eventually freaking out and deciding that she's going to bust up his car and everything like they're (laughs) they're just taking a moment out to to go on this little tangent that you're seeing but it's, it's giving you a taste of the characters and you're getting to to see some people do some wonderful over the top acting and and like it's almost endearing in a way. It is, yeah. And it's the people. I mean, I think the fact is it's it does a lot. Of, it does something very interesting, which is it combines um, very much like kind of like a realism and grittiness in terms of like again having those character actors who feel like real people, having like that sense of atmosphere. Like you feel the oppressive heat of the machines, um, the way it's shot and the way everything looks, um, and you know, just the way that like how, you know, corporations don't care about people or, you know, you, we all have that jerk coworker or horrible boss or whatever. Um, so it's all this like relatable stuff. But then also there are these like outsized, you know, like very broad like jokes or moments or, you know, a giant albino rat queen, um, who has a bone palace, uh, somehow. Um, and so it's like this weird thing where it's like both like kind of realistic and then completely departs from it and it does it kind of in a very uh, interesting way. And again, that's something that you find in, I think like, you know, like working, uh, you know, blue collar monster movies like alien or like Leviathan or something. And I think watching it again in, in a point like 2020 where, mm-hmm. you know, we, everybody's been dealing, um, at one point or another in the world with, uh, the, the effects of the global pandemic, is mm-hmm. you've got um, the the crazy character, you know, I guess he'd be technically the foreman or, or owner of this one who has higher up people, you know, that he's supposed to yeah. to be answering to. You know, they've got the holiday that's, that's coming up and they want to make sure, you know, that he's willing to pay people extra. But it's because he's got all this extra work that, that has to be done so they can get the place, you know, up and running, you know, in more tip top shape. And but then you've also got all the warnings of, oh, this place needs to to close down. So, you know, going back to the point that you made it, you know, you do have that 
it, it doesn't fully fit in the Jaws mode, but you do mm-hmm. have him being the stand-in, you know, for for the mayor in the way, Keep or the speeches open, yeah. yeah, or the uh, I guess the higher ups, you know, at the company mm-hmm. being like, no, we we need to. We need to keep this open because there's even the point where Warwick himself is like, OK, I'm I'm going to, you know, you know, get in and, and do the work, too, because we need to get this done. Even though he knows the danger and everything, he has the people that he has to uh, to please so that he can live out his, you know, grand ideas. Yeah, there's a seat like there's an idea that like um, there's a sinister element to him being as a middle manager, but still you also recognize that he's still not like the biggest threat, which kind of works along. I think I'm also making this very more grandiose, maybe they intended, like, but whatever. Uh, if you look at like some of the movie, uh, you know, you constantly think like the rats are the threat. Like you really think it's going to be like deadly eyes or you think yeah. it's going to be uh, Ben or, um, you know, the name, nah, food of the gods too, whatever. <laughs> um, something along those lines, but then instead, so you think like, oh, those rat armies are going to like eat everyone. But like they, you see me in like blood every now and then. You're like, okay, that's clearly I have a taste for it. But like, no, it's actually, there's a bigger problem. There's a bigger monster at play here. And so in the same way, you know, with Warwick, it's actually, there's a bigger monster at play with like the own, with Bachman owning this mill and be like, no, you guys need to do what I tell you to do. Yeah. I, I mean, that, I think that's interesting about it. Um, at the same time, well, you mentioned several movies that w- were before this mm-hmm. film can you think of any more modern movies or recent films you know in the last decade or so that kind of has a graveyard shift feel or you know kind of stomps on the same ground as it yeah um, uh some um that not all of them i enjoy but some of them are very similar which is like uh underwater a lot of people really loved underwater um that uh and it's that also has kind of a similar sense of like working class. I mean, it's alien undersea, mm. but not deep star six or Leviathan or the abyss or, um, the rift, but then another one. Um, so it's very similar to that. That's just recent. So, um, but that also has like the sense of like, well, we got to do this and we had to work. Um, <laughs> another one would probably like, uh, kind of similar is, a uh, and I'm going to butcher it. I'm so sorry. Uh, Gonjiam haunted asylum. Oh, okay. Um, just because of just like a cluttered, like the thing about greater shift is that mill makes no sense. No. If you like talk like the architecture of that bit, like it's like, you're just looking like, wait, why is there so many desks and chairs and crap everywhere? And there's whole levels of it. And like, and it spills off and it's connected to the cemetery, which makes the title a pun um, three times over. Actually, it's like a triple <laughs> entendre. Um, but it just has like, but it does work well. Like it's really good production design. Um, and no gym kind of has that too, even though it's a found footage film, it does feel like a lived in space. that has been disused for many years. Um, and then the other one I would say is probably girl on the third floor. Okay. Uh, cause that one also has, you know, the renovation, um, it has pretty good practical effects. Uh, I think Travis Stevens did a good job with, um, implementing a lot of like gooeyness, like gross, uh, you can feel, how gross everything is in that. Um, and again, I think like CM Punk is playing essentially a uh, every person. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, again, I don't think it necessarily works totally well in that film personally, but uh, it does have a lot of that same feeling to it, which is like this, this weird um, microcosm macrocosm of like the house coming apart and also physical effects playing a part in it. Yeah. Now th- this might what be, about the... you think anything else? I uh, know. I mean, those are yeah. the main ones. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a weird for as much of it, it 
as, as we can find larger films that are doing the blue collar, you don't have a lot of yeah. uh, the blue collar that's in this vein. I mean, if you think of blue collar and you think of horror that people will always go to, it's, it's usually something like session nine, uh, which yeah. I love session nine, but I mean, session nine doesn't really still fit in the mold of this. When you get to the giant um, <laughs> bat rat creature, you, you don't have anything yeah. like that. I mean, you do have the people, you know, who are working on the, the dilapidated place, you know, that's falling apart. Mm-hmm. They, have, they have different reasons they're doing so, but they're still, you know, uh, the deeper that they get into the bill, the belly of the place that's falling apart, the worse things get. So you have that, you just don't have that, that similar, weirdly uh, monster supernatural element to it. Yeah. Um, you, you brought up girl on the third floor. Now I have to ask probably the strangest question that I can uh, think of asking connected <laughs> to graveyard shift. It, it's not that yeah. weird. Um, but I, I feel like if this goes the wrong way, people will be like, Oh, you're th- this guy that asked this. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned girl on the third floor. You mentioned the possibility of, um, people being able to improve upon things if they were to remake graveyard shift. Mm-hmm. Would you be interested in a graveyard shift where the lead character is played by CM Punk? Uh, no. Oh, it depends actually. I could see that because the issue, I think CM Punk actually has really good presence. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I think his, no offense, Mr. Punk, <laughs> but I don't think his uh, line readings are very are worked that well for me in Girl on the Third Floor. However, I think if he was basically like the silent drifter, yeah, who like I mean, David Andrews honestly doesn't have that many lines overall. No, uh, he's mo- and most of his stuff is just reacting like huh, okay, like yeah. you're the boss, it, it, like a lot of like little, like quick quips. And you're like all right, <laughs> or, or or then it is to you know spring into action one way or another. Yeah. You know whether it's to to, to try to help protect someone's honor, protect their honor, you know, deal with the machine that's, that's going on the fritz. So I could, I could see him. Yeah. Or or would you want him at, or if not him, because you could also possibly slide, uh, CM Punk into like the Warwick role, but who would you (laughs) want to see as the Warwick type character? Uh, Michael Shannon. I'm, 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 (laughs) I'm fine with that, but I actually want to flip that. I want to choose. uh, (laughs) Well, no, I was going to say, I want to choose the person who was in. uh, uh, Oh, God. um, What was I watching recently? I was trying to think. I I was watching something recently that had this actor, and it wasn't just that a month ago we had an episode that'll be coming out at some point. But I was going to say uh, somebody like Patrick Wilson for Warwick. Okay. But having, having Michael Shannon be uh tucker cleveland <laughs> oh i like that no michael shannon's tucker cleveland is very good i think with patrick wilson the approach would be more that he's like kind of insidious that he's like you know he's like the nice boss but he's actually a horrible person is constantly screwing it over well he, uh, but he i think he can do either one and, and that's what i like yeah. about Tucker Wilson. I, I think that he can easily present like the asshole to everybody but then have the you know the be the the person who the reason why he's kind of being the asshole is because he's trying to keep this place afloat and he doesn't, you know, he still has the higher up people to, to answer and, you know, have there be a phone call or something where he's getting berated, you know, by, by the higher ups for not doing the job and having him be, you know, meek and weak in that moment. And that causes him to be, you know, angry or more forceful with them. I'd also, uh, a quick alternative if possible, John Goodman, I think would also work very well. 
I would like be terrifying. Like if at the end he like went crazy and was smearing <laughs> himself with like, cause at one point like Steven Mock just like covers himself in just smut or like smut yes. rather. <laughs> not smut, uh, but like some random like smudge stuff he has and just for no reason, he's like time to be in camouflage. <laughs> All right. Um, but if like John Goodman did that and then basically like just reenacted the end of Barton Fink and was just like screaming at this giant rat, like, that'd be amazing. <laughs> I mean, if we really wanted to make the movie cheap, we could just have John Goodman in all the roles. We could have him be the drifter. Go we could on. have him uh, be the rat. <laughs> have him be the rat. Have him be uh, Warwick. Also have him uh, be the brother to his character in Arachnophobia and play the exterminator. Exterminator. Uh, I've dealt with this before. Let's just, get and then, Let's yeah. just go with just, it. Let's go full clumps. Oh, come on, John Goodman. It's your time to shine. Uh, if only we had... Oh, who's the poor soul who did... Who did the 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 makeup for that one? Is that is that Rick Baker? Rick Baker, I think. I think it's Baker. I know that Baker did Norbit. Yeah, yeah I think so because Baker is always like brought in for um, Eddie Murphy stuff. I think for like coming to America and everything else. Yeah, well, that's uh, we we won't get on that subject. Rick, Rick Baker's wonderful. That's all we have to say. Yes. Um, same that's with true. Stan Winston. Let's just let's just remember all the good stuff. For people's oh, and for people's you should also point out this was done by uh, the FX. And this are really good, and they're um, uh, done by Peter Chesney, who also did a uh, Men in Black and People Under the Stairs and a bunch of other stuff. So I was going to bring so him up just, towards the end. I didn't. I didn't forget. Uh, oh, just saying. I, was, I thought it was an apropos moment. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I well, saw it and I went for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because because I, I think it's interesting because when when you read up like a little bit on on the trivia that there was a point where they wanted uh, Savini to be yeah. uh, involved and directing. And because there wasn't a lot of uh, studio interest at the time, that's what got him to leave. And of course, 1990 is when he ends up making the um, night of the living dead remake. Yeah. But at the same time, having somebody like um, Savini being on at one point and with the person that they go and have the creature effects for, like there was always it seems like in the production's mind they wanted to make sure that the practical effects and the creature effects were something that were had uh you know people who knew what they were doing and, and mm. people who could pull it off as much as possible and i think that does work for um the rats bats whatever you want to call it the beast we can say um, <laughs> because it, it is a striking creature i mean it's yeah it, that image of it and its wings and its face and everything definitely sticks in your mind and you can't get out because it's just it's so otherworldly and something that you don't normally see that it just sticks in your mind like it, it haunts you in a way. Yeah, it's absolutely. It does a good job of kind of towing the line between being like biologically sound, which, you know, a lot of uh, creature designers these days are very much focused on like, well, why would they have this? horn and they always had to come up with some reason for it um but also being like fantastical and that's why by blending those two worlds you're like yeah it would have like this weird uh pigmentation issue and be blind and you know this weird skin stuff but also it would apparently be like this giant thing that can like move around and may or may not be able to walk downstairs but <laughs> like it's just like this is able to combine these things into a really strong design that is like works especially well and um, there's one scene where there's one death where some guy's downstairs by himself and then the wing comes in and like wraps him up and you don't know yet that there's a bat rat rodent yeah. um, that has wings. So you don't know what that is. And it just looks like, you know, it's kind of like the uh, Jason lives kill where with the RV going through the steel, <laughs> um, and you just see like this, you know, this vacuum formed face and it's like really well done. You're like, Oh, it's super, 
creepy because you don't really understand what's about to happen. Because again, there's nothing there in the movie advertising or leading up to where you're like, yep, it's a giant rat that has wings, obviously. So it was definitely a weird surprise. I mean, that's even in the movie itself. Usually when you get these films, you, you have the somebody who comes along, you know, who knows all yeah. the town's history, who's like, oh, that's what this is. Originally, it started <laughs> out as a legend, but the town folk <laughs> try to cover up the story. But you don't really have anything like that. You just have this terrifying thing that's existed for who knows how long. Because I know they do mention, you know, the, the chemicals and stuff in the water. But for for the size of this thing... And like how terrifying it is. You're like, I don't think this just randomly happened. And yeah. for, for that bone palace, that's something that you accrue over time. I don't, I don't think you really do that in like a span of three to five years. Well, there's that again, the architecture in this movie um, is just insane. So I want, so once they get to the sub sub basement, they find a trap door that leads them into a sub basement. Yeah. That's connected to the cemetery. But then they go through like these like alien three like tunnels, but they were made out of wood. And like, what is this designed for? And like, and again, there's like, there goes this place where it's clearly this, these uh, rats and this giant rat queen thing have been eating the corpses, whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's also like an actual structure. Like there's a real, like there's a building there, kind of not building, but there's an outline for something. And you're like, what was that? And then it's kind of cool that there's just like hinted at. And I know like if it was released today, there'd be a bunch of like YouTubes are like, why? graveyard shift fails or like <laughs> six major you know plot holes in graveyard shift like who built those tunnels um but it actually kind of works as just being like wait why is this all down there and also creepy yeah and i agree it's better that there's no like oh mr bachman used to raise rats you know how to well, get rid of it <laughs> and i i think uh, another great thing about that is the fact that uh, the runtime um yeah and that's because it's 89 minutes. It's a minute under an hour and a half. And, <laughs> yeah. and and so you don't really have time to try to, you know, work through lots of these issues and be like, oh, well, you know, they, they should have had more scenes talking about the mythology. And it's like, <laughs> you're yeah. going to get close to two hours if you do that. And it's a solid 90 minute, you know, movie that you throw in. You have fun with friends and and, yeah. and you, you enjoy it. You have a good time. Um, yeah. Now, the final question that, that we ask is... I think it's relatively simple, but I know that it kind of gives people pause if it's a an interesting film. If it's a film that's kind of a mix of of great sure. and, and kooky and weird. And that's having rewatched the movie again. Do you think it's still worthy of the reverence that you've had built up for it for a long period of time? Or do you think that maybe sadly that shine is slowly fading away? No, I think it's still, um, you know, I still... I think it's a mixed bag of a film, but I think it still is works really well. Um, I think it's still ends up being like kind of timely because, you know, because of the practical effects therefore doesn't age that badly uh, as versus like a CG um, because of, you know, an underlying theme about workers getting screwed over um, because of how simplistic it is. It isn't with the exception of Brad Dorff, um, you know, basically talking about what happened in Vietnam, like there's not a lot that ties it to any specific time. And the backstories, yeah, there isn't a ton of backstory. You just know that like, Oh, like my wife died and then I left and I've been all over the place or like this guy's not happy about this or whatever. Like it's very simple characters establishing move on. Um, so I think it, it's a very efficient use. Um, it's, you know, it's not one of the best Stephen King adaptations out there. Uh, um, but it's, still a pretty solid film and um 
I think it you know, very much holds up to as much as it did before. Like, I think there are things that could be fixed and improved upon, but it's still entertaining and engaging. Um, and it's kind of interesting. Like, the, it is still fairly unique in a lot of ways. Since this movie came out in 1990, what we like to look at when it comes at movies that are we're covering this year is the fact mm-hmm. that anytime you have a film that's, you know, a, a zero at the end of it, it's always a, a product that was probably being made at, you know, the the end of the previous decade, right. and, but it's coming out at the beginning of the next decade. Do you feel that Graveyard Shift is a film that that feels like it was made and is rooted in the, the 80s or it kind of signifies the direction that horror is going into the 90s? I do. I do think it kind of feels like that crossroads. Like part of it feels like it kind of steps out of like um like Gung Ho or um any of those other like uh like factory based comedies that were happening like in the mid eighties all the time. I don't know why they all have I guess it's because of Detroit was having so much problems then. Um but there were a bunch of those and it kinda of has like that feel to it, but then they're like, Oh, but we'll put them in this horror movie. Um and it also has, you know, um very much like an isolated area, um, low budget, but not, or lower budget, but not specifically low budget. The look is very much what movies would kind of look like for the next four, five years afterwards. Uh, in terms of like, there's not like a lot of, you know, uh, distinct colors or anything like that. It's muted and tried to be like very realistic or use mostly natural light for the most part. There's like a weird, uh, green neon light when they're under, when they're like swimming in, the cemetery waters, but that doesn't matter. But it's just one thing. I was like, <laughs> the rest of it's just like regular light bulbs, and I was like, where's that coming from? What? It's like the set of vamp is like next door or something. Uh, <laughs> Grace Jones yeah, thinking, breaks in and, yeah, exactly. and is hanging out with the giant bat queen, <laughs> and then just David Andrews just like keeps swimming by, like just don't look at him, just keep going. Um, but yeah, I do think there is. I think it has like that remnant of. Um, of the eighties of, uh, like the still having like factory or blue collar jobs, um, uh, being a big part of like a cast or a story, but then also is starting to creep into that feeling that when people were like, Hey, Reaganomics wasn't great. And Bush is trying to continue that. So I think like that kind of that, which was that sentiment that was starting to form at the time, halfway through his, um, presidency. So yeah, I do think there's a kind of, it is that interesting crossroads where it was clearly being developed for a long time in the eighties, but then they added a bit more um, of what was to come in the nineties. I, I think it's a, it's always an interesting crossroads when it comes to these films, yeah. because you kind of have the majority of them are kind of have one foot set in one era or the other. And of course you don't really know that until, you know, the era has gone by. So I, I feel that it, it's very telling that this one has, you know, hallmarks of all of those. Now we do have one last question um, that, that we're doing at this time. And that's because like I said, this episode will probably be dropping. My guess will be, you know, sometime in June. And right now it's basically looking like theaters aren't going to open until July. Um, everybody's kind of looking and focusing on uh, Christopher Nolan's tenant um, yeah. since that's one of the first movies that, that comes out in July and hasn't moved. I don't think it's moving because of the fact that they know if nothing's been out for a while, everyone will go to see it. And because of how much money Christopher Nolan spends on his movies, that they definitely want to make sure that they get it back. 
Um, mm -hmm. But I was reading just the other day that like Sony only has three movies that are coming out for the rest of this year. Huh? So it's like it, Morbius. And... <laughs> Is no, one well, of Morbius, Morbius? Mor Morbius got moved. No. <laughs> Damn you. This is uh, how I find out. I, I didn't know that actually. Oh, uh, I, okay I don't, I, I don't, I, I'm pretty sure that it got moved to like. Listen, listen we'll, we'll just remove it past it. Okay. I'll, I don't know. I'll grieve in my own time. But basically at this point, you're going to have uh, <laughs> Venom 2 come out on a Wednesday and then Morbius come out on a Friday. <laughs> So, okay, um, it's, a, it's a good solid week plans. But since people are still, you know, there, there's not going to, even if Tenet comes out, and even if you really love mm -hmm. Tenet, that movie's going to probably be around three hours long. I don't think you're going to go see it like <laughs> four or five times in a month just to keep going to a theater. So the question that we're asking every guest is if there's three movies you definitely think are worth people's uh, time to be watching while there's lots of, there's not lots of stuff to go out and, and view. Now these movies don't have to be new. You can include new titles if you want, but it's just three movies that people can, can definitely uh, watch on, on VOD and are definitely worth their time. Sure. Um, so the first one, uh, I think you can rent it uh, digitally, but uh, it's also on Blu-ray. Um, it's actually also a movie from 1990. Um, the other ones are much more recent, but uh, <laughs> 1991 uh, is The Boneyard. Have you seen The Boneyard? I have not seen The Boneyard. Oh, please watch it. And then we can, it's 1990, so we can still do another Horrorversary episode <laughs> on it. I'm telling you, watch it. It's I cannot describe like it has Norman Fell in it, um, Phyllis Diller, um, but they're just side characters. It's a uh, trapped in one location. Um, it's a great horror movie. It has zombies and crazy monsters and like curses, but also like toxins or something. I don't, it's bizarre, but it works really well. It's in, it's out. It has great practical effects. The Boneyard. Look it up. Uh, it's from 1990. It, it's wonderful. I cannot recommend. Like, I just discovered it like two years ago. Because I was like, what is this? Because it has like a weird, um, it kind of gives away the final monster. But uh, <laughs> on the cover of the Blu ray, I was like, oh, well, this seems like something. And no, it was. It's I, glorious. I, all I can say that I was already sold on by looking <laughs> it up or looking up the director who, <laughs> who wrote and directed it and only did like one other movie uh, that he directed is that he is, and this is always a sign of films from like the mm -hmm. 80s going into the 90s is that he's a special effects guy. Yeah. And so he he was a sculptor on Deep Star 6. He did creature design for House. He did was a creature uh, technician and a sculptor on Enemy Mine. Um, he did storyboard work on Cocoon. He did uh, uh, special effects for Strange Invaders. He was a sculptor on uh, Jaws 3D. He was a lab technician on Cat People, The Beast Within, um, and Buried Alive. Uh, we won't mention Heartbeeps because I never mention Heartbeeps. Um, he did. Uh, uh, he was on the special makeup effects unit for The Thing. He did wow. a special makeup effects for Slumber Party Massacre. And then, of course, oh. you know, was in charge of the majority of the of the special effects for the boneyard. So even knowing nothing about this movie, but knowing <laughs> that, that Norman fell and Phyllis Diller is in it with that type of background. I'm yeah, you definitely have my attention. It says a uh, 
children turned into zombies wreak havoc yep. in a coroner's building with just a burned out psychic an experienced cop and two no- newcomers to stop the madness sold yeah sold. it's like demon knight in a mortuary or uh yeah like a mortuary pathology lab and uh, Mr. Roper plays like a hippie pathologist. So, <laughs> sold, uh, sold. Yeah. What, hit so us check with that out two. if you can. Um, hopefully that'll end up on some streaming service, Shutter, whoever. Please add it. I guarantee you, it would play like gangbusters. Um, the other one uh, is uh, more recent. Uh, it's uh, from last year, actually. It's a uh, Sweetheart. Uh, it's currently on Netflix, and yeah, I think. It's a Netflix film, so it probably will be for a while. Anyways, um, it's a great monster movie uh, going along with um, Boneyard and Graveyard Shift. Uh, you know, it's something that you don't really want to know too much going into it. It's a very simple plot, but it, it's incredibly effective from um, the director of Slight and also possibly a Star Wars movie for disney plus no one really knows anymore um but uh it's really well done um uh, just a woman uh, ends up uh, waking up on island after some disaster at sea and uh she is not alone and that's all i'll say about that but it's (laughs) incredibly entertaining um i think i saw it was a fantastic fest yeah yeah it it, it Uh, was it was one of the darlings i was at fantastic fest i didn't get to see it but it was Usually at Fantastic Fest, uh, for those who've never been and only heard about it, uh, Fantastic Fest is probably one of the best genre film festivals you're going to go to and have a chance to go to. Um, the way they have it set up is better than most, and that's because it's all within one theater. You're not yeah. you're not going to any other locations. <laughs> you just have one building that's got their giant bar attached to it that has a lobby bar in case anybody you know is worried there's not going to be enough bars. There's nine screens that are always playing. Um, at once you have a ticketing system that's through your phone when you're choosing mm-hmm. films the night before. So it's really easy. You know where you're going to be at what time, but there's so many movies that are playing that they replay, you know, just like any other film festival, the second half, but more than most of them, you're definitely kind of forcing yourself to see certain movies that everybody's talking about in the second half because yeah. you're all in the same location. So it's not like, <laughs> Oh, I've only been to these two theaters for most of South by and haven't seen anyone else. So I'm not hearing word of mouth. So sweetheart was the one that everyone was like grabbing people by the shoulders and shaking them in the second half (laughs) saying that they had to see it. And so the the fact that it's on Netflix now is great. Yeah. It's super entertaining. And again, fantastic fest really plays well into my whole cursed location situation. So I appreciate that. Uh, and then the last one uh, is currently on Shutter. Uh, it's on most. You can uh, buy it on most digital platforms. Um, it's from 2015. It's Patchwork. It's by uh, directed by Tyler McIntyre, who also did Tragedy Girls. Oh. Um, it was his first. No, I don't know if it's his first movie, but it was his movie before Tragedy Girls. It's basically a take on um, Frankenstein, where uh, three women uh, are abducted or passed out or. And then they wake up and they've been merged into one person, but they still have their three personalities. So they have to figure out how to work with their hands and legs together. And then they have to go and find out who did this to them. And they beat up a lot of people. They get help by the actor who played one of the uh, twin Weasleys. Um, <laughs> and it's really interesting. It's very like much of a callback to like kind of uh, 
it's a little bit like, like a Frank Henenlotter or um, Brian Usna kind of, but a little bit more lighter and not as gory. Yeah. But it's incredibly entertaining. It's fun. Um, it's a real crowd please. Like you get to like you when she basically flips the switch and to be like time for me to beat everyone up. You're like, OK, this is great. Um, so uh, that's on Shutter actually right now. Uh, so patchwork is a lot of fun. I'd strongly recommend it. Awesome. That, that, that's a great and varied lineup. Now, uh, the <laughs> one that I want to mention just because again, yes. we're, we're recording this on, uh, uh, April 28th. So it will definitely have been, um, out and on shutter, uh, for a period of time, but it just got me really excited. I think I'm going to have the wife watch it sometime soon. Is that shutter early before it even ended up on video on demand decided to drop blood quantum for mm-hmm. everybody and blood quantum is great it's fun it's sensational uh, just saying it's a zombie movie i don't really think does it justice because it does what you you need to do with a zombie movie nowadays and make it accessible and different and have a reason for why are you making you know a, another zombie movie in 2020 mm-hmm. and, it, and it definitely sets down what makes it different because it's the way that i described it um after i saw it at panic fest is that it's basically uh, a season of Native American, The Walking Dead, in ninety minutes. Nice. And so that's nice. that. That's. Have you had a chance to see it yet? I've not. However, they are Canadian, so I'm just saying, representing my Canadian, <laughs> my Canadian brethren. But it's um, it's it's, it's really yes. interesting, like the things that they that they do, like uh, the the story yeah. halfway through um, takes a big turn. Um, and so that it definitely has, you know, the, the, the societal commentary in it that you normally have when it comes to a good, um, zombie film, it's shot really well. The, the gore effects are absolutely fantastic. Um, it's very much a movie where, uh, you don't know who's going to survive to the end. There's, you know, a couple characters who seem like they're footnotes in the first like 10, 15 minutes who then end up being, you know, fan favorites, um, at the end of the movie, uh, it's got Gary Farmer uh, giving a very Ooh, Gary nice. Farmer performance in 2020. <laughs> and it also has a Native American uh, grandpa who is obsessed, I would basically say, with the, the, the samurai and warrior code. Oh, cool. Because oh, he does. Yeah, because yeah, he, he takes on zombies with a with a samurai sword that he has sheathed on, on his back. And it's just like you're just like, this is. This is fantastic. But yeah, it's it's lots of fun. Um, it, it's again, you know, right around that 90 minute mark. It's on shutter. So there you go. Nice. So he and uh, Tilda Swinton from The Dead Won't Die should, uh, should team up. She yes. also has a katana on that. Yes. Except for, I don't think that he's, I, I won't get into that movie. Because <laughs> watch, watch that movie too. There you go. Give it's, you know, give. give yeah, maybe give, don't. Give, give Jim some love. <laughs> give Jim some love. I, I, only, I only say that just because I want <laughs> I want I want him to be able to continue making movies. So even if you don't thought, like it in the end, just give him the money. Yes, agreed. Yeah, no. yeah. Uh, my friends in his band. So I was like, yeah, definitely help him out. That'd be good. <laughs> well, technically, if he's not, you know, if he's not making a uh, uh, movies, he'll he'll have more time to work on music and stuff. Yeah, but I think that his main source for the the music income is doing scores for his movies. Oh, fine. Okay. It's a pyramid scheme. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah now you know how i feel about morbius welcome to my world <laughs> no why have we mentioned morbius <laughs> so much on this episode and by so much i mean three times 
sponsored by Morbius. I'll take, take the seventy back. money. Let's do it. Everybody's worried about being a Marvel shield. It's like no, Sony's yeah. got the money. I mean, you have to remember that. Uh, I think it's oh great. Now I'm going to get all the different studios confused. But all I remember is that technically the highest grossing theatrical movie of 2020 is Bad Boys Three. It is. Yep. So that's that's the type of year we're having. A movie in January, still as we head into the summer season, it has a good chance of being the most profitable movie of the year. Uh, <laughs> Come on. Unless they push up Morbius. So that's the. That's, oh, God. I'm going to only drink. Don't, don't play with my heart. Rob, I want to thank you so much for coming on the episode today. Well, thank you for having me. It's been great getting to talk to you. Yeah. Also, uh, even though this is in June. Happy belated birthday. And you oh, guys can you. do the math to figure out when his birthday was. There you or go. Yeah, or, or you can just wait till next year and, and look at <laughs> people are saying right? nice things online. It, yeah. It's it's Alien Day. That's all I'll tell you. It's <laughs> That's easy <laughs> enough. It's Alien Day. If people are celebrating Alien Day, they're also secretly celebrating my birthday. They just don't know it. So that's okay. Check now, out. let everybody know where they can easily find you on the social media, if you want them to sure. find you. I would love for them to find me and we can discuss rat Queens and Morbius. Uh, I am on Twitter at uh, neurotic monkey. And also pretty much everything is at neurotic monkey for like Facebook, Instagram, whatever. So find me there. And then uh, most of my writing these days is on daily Now you said, no, this was probably like two months ago or so, but you saying that we're saying occasionally, or maybe it's irregular because there's no sense of time anymore. Um, yeah. that you've been working on some anniversary work of your own over at Daily Grindhouse. Yeah, I would just, you know, compiling lists of anniversaries, you know, that are coming up. And then um, basically, you know, and as part of working on features, like sending it out to other writers that so they can do um, their own uh, research and appraisal of things. But, you know, like in May. I was asking if there was anything in May or June that was coming up that was notable. Uh, May of uh, 2020 is the 40th anniversary of Friday the 13th, the first one. Uh, it's the 40th anniversary of uh, The Shining, um, 25th anniversary of Johnny Mnemonic, and we, we, uh, don't, we don't we don't count <laughs> the the 25s, Rob. Come on, listen, I'm doing my best here. <laughs> um, and I know that one's 15. Trying to think what else there is. There's a couple other ones. Um, that are actually pretty impressive, but now I can't remember what they are. Alack, alas. I'll see. But um, yeah, so there's definitely a bunch more coming up next month. There you go. There, there's that. That's what I was proving, is that at any point there's probably a horror movie that's oh. celebrating a big tentpole anniversary that's worth it. So um, for me, you can easily follow me on Twitter at YoAdrianTorse. And for the show, it's at Horrorversary. Of course, all these episodes that you know are from the past, you can easily find on uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, um, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast. Depending upon which service you're looking for, you would just put in Boom Howdy, since we're part of the Boom Howdy Podcast Network, or you can put in Horrorversary, and you'll find us there. Uh, we've had a whole bunch of great episodes that have dropped recently. Rob mentioned that Friday the 13th is going to be celebrating in May, and we actually have an episode that we did with Greg Mucci that's uh, on that one. Um, and then I was able to save an episode that was actually recorded in 2018 
that I was able to to fix where none other than the wonderful Scott Drevet of uh, Daily Dead um, just talks for a, a wonderfully long period of time about Anthony Hopkins and magic. <laughs> awesome. it's, wor- it's worth your time. But once again, thank you, Rob, so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, and thanks for listening. Check out Graveyard Shift. Yeah, everyone go watch <laughs> Graveyard Shift. And until next time, especially with the year we're having, stay safe and be nice to each other.